Well, uh, good morning and welcome to the Vineyard. I'm really excited to introduce this new series this morning, Naturally Supernatural, um, really for two reasons. One, because these two words kind of sum up one of the most uh, hard to navigate and, and counterintuitive like contradictions in our faith and the way that we want to be uh, faithful to Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. And the other reason is because this, this distinctive, this value that we have as vineyard people for being naturally supernatural, um, you know, it, it just correlates so deeply with my own story of coming into the vineyard movement. And so if this isn't a phrase that you've ever heard before, naturally supernatural, uh, we call these things distinctives because as a vineyard family, there are thousands of vineyard churches in dozens and dozens of countries all over the world. And each of those churches are uh, somewhat independent. They're locally governed. But there are some things about us that make us who we are. And being naturally supernatural is one of those distinctions that, that sort of ties us together with the whole Vineyard family all over the world. And so what I want to do today is I want to set up the next six weeks of teaching uh, just to kind of lay the, the foundation biblically for you know what this means and really that it's not something that we're just making up that like sounds nice but it really is a, a foundational biblical idea for the way that we want to do church and the way that we uh, bring Jesus and his gospel to the world around us so you know when I was first beginning to understand what it meant to have a life with God um, I was about 15 years old and I had grown up in the church for my entire life, and church, faith, life with God, just what, they weren't categories that were particularly meaningful to me. So I had been, you know, there in that environment for 15 years, but it just hadn't really uh, sunk into me, and so it wasn't something that defined the way that I thought about life or the way that I thought about the people around me, um, and so I was just kind of going my own way, and I didn't understand who Jesus was. You know, I thought he was just sort of one among equals and this big cast of biblical characters. And so, you know, there's King David and there's King Solomon and there's Moses and Abraham and Paul and, and Jesus. And they're all just sort of, you know, when the credits roll at the end, like they're all part of the cast that makes up this grand story that is the Bible. But I didn't understand that there was anything distinctly important about the Jesus character. I thought he was just one of the boys. And so, um, you know, following Jesus as a way of life just wasn't a category in my mind. And so as I attended church and I lived life, those two things just didn't really overlap much, attending church and living life. And so, you know, has anyone else ever found themselves in a place like that where you go to church and you live your life, but they don't really seem to have anything to do with one another, right? And so when we're talking about being naturally supernatural, we're talking about bridging that gap, that's really what we're talking about. And so in my high school years, I started to have some experiences that caused me to consider having a life with God and, and what that might look like. And so, you know, I fell in with a group of friends who were devout and active followers of Jesus, and I thought they were really weird. And I mostly spent time around them because of a girl that I liked, and so I thought, you know, that's like, that's kind of my way in. And so sure, I'll go to youth group, and I'll like be with these folks. Um, and they're strange, and, and they've got some weird beliefs and some weird practices, but I'll spend time with them because, you know, this girl was cute. And so as a result of that, 
uh, I, I got dragged to a youth group and I received prayer and it, it impacted my life in a way that I didn't anticipate. And so I went out and I got a Bible and I started to read it and I started to think a little bit more deeply about spiritual things and uh, I, I sort of had this slow awakening to God. And it was a life-changing period of about six months in my life where I didn't have a, a radical you know, encounter with Jesus where the, the heavens opened up and I had a vision of God on the throne and, and I said, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. It wasn't like that. It was just this slow period of considering the things of God and, and what does it mean to have a life with Jesus? And is this Jesus guy you know, really everything that he seems to say that he is in this book? And so I want to encourage you, if you're on the journey at some point along the way, and you're with us this morning, and you're thinking, you know, maybe I'd like to have a life with God. I don't know if I'm really living that life right now. I don't know exactly what that would look like. It's okay for that to be a process. I want to encourage you that it's okay for that to be a, a process where you're, you're, you're thinking about the things of God, and, and you're letting, you know, what we would call the Holy Spirit really shape and transform your thinking. It's okay to be in process and on the journey. And so eventually, uh, along this process, I started considering myself a follower of Jesus. There was a point where I did say, yeah, I think I can, I think I can buy this. I think I can, you know, go ahead and, and sign up for the, for the program. And so, um, you know, I was, I was freer. I was freer for that, for giving my life to Jesus and becoming a follower of his. And, and I want to explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, you know, I, I started to uh, experience and enjoy nature and art and music and literature in a way that I didn't before because I had become aware of the true source of beauty. And so my eyes were actually open to beauty in a new way. And I was able to experience it in the world around me in a way that I hadn't been able to experience it before becoming a follower of Jesus. I began to genuinely love people for the first time in my life. And, and the Spirit did deep work in my heart and actually made me aware of the judgmental attitudes and the prejudices that I had taken on because of the culture and the community that I had grown up in. And, and what I experienced was a renewal and a restoration of my soul that was deeply in need of the power of the gospel. And so when we talk about the supernatural, that might sound kind of strange to you. Like, I don't know about you, but, but when I hear the word supernatural, the first thing I think of is the campy TV show from the CW. You guys, has anybody else watched Supernatural? Right? It's silly and it's ridiculous and it's kind of like, this isn't really how things are. Um, but when we, when we talk about the supernatural, when we talk about being naturally supernatural, what we're talking about is that transformational power of the Holy Spirit that changes who we are from the inside out, that softens our hearts to the people around us, that wakes us up to the beauty of God, and that makes us aware of a whole new reality that's taking place around us where God is working to redeem the entire creation. It's a whole different thing than, than just, you know, participating in, in, in spectator, you know, religion and being in this room once a week and then going out and, and living life as though what happens here has no bearing on, on the rest of what we're up to. Does that make sense to you all? And so in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads the words of the prophet Isaiah. And I think we've got this on a slide. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so we want to be really clear at the outset of this Naturally Supernatural series, the gospel that we preach, the one that we believe at the Vineyard, is is that in Jesus, in the man Jesus Christ, God and humanity came together in a body to proclaim freedom to people in spiritual and physical captivity, to forgive sins, to empower us to live in victory over sin, and to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Those four things, those are the four things that Jesus came to do. Those are the four things that define the gospel that we preach. And so when we talk about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, it begins there. You know, Jesus himself says, only the power of the Spirit can reveal that reality to us. And so when I just listed those things, when I said that Jesus came to proclaim freedom to the captives, to forgive your sins, to give you the victory to the power to live in victory over sin, and to fill you with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If that rang true for you, the only way that could possibly ring true for you is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, in a lot of charismatic churches where we practice these gifts of the Holy Spirit, what do I mean by that? I mean, we pray for the sick to be healed and we actually think it'll happen. Speaking in tongues. Uh, sharing words of prophecy, words of knowledge, and words of wisdom. A a crucial and integral part of that is actually the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm jumping ahead in my notes, James, so if you could actually bring up that quote from John Wimber's book, PowerPoints. So John Wimber was was instrumental in the founding of the Vineyard Movement. He was a brilliant guy who was a practitioner of the things of the Holy Spirit, and he was a wonderful teacher. And so I just want to clear the air on this before we start. So different uh, streams and different churches believe different things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how the power of the Holy Spirit works. And so I just want to be clear about what we believe about this in the vineyard before we go on talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and what he does. So some folks teach that when when you're saved, when you become a follower of Jesus, that you need then a a subsequent experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's separate and different from that. And in the vineyard, we don't believe that's true. We believe that when you call on Jesus, when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. And so in some churches, this creates a first-class, second-class citizen kind of dynamic where, you know, oh, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Have you spoken in tongues? Have you, you know, this, that, and the other thing? Oh, no, well, I don't know about that. And I just want to be abundantly clear that we're not about that here, okay? So if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And when the New Testament writers talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's actually, a, the, the word that they use is a continual baptism. And so it's continually returning to the Holy Spirit to receive his power, to be baptized in his power, uh, and, and, and to receive that from God, not because you've never received it before, but to empower you to do the works of Jesus. So let me just read this quote really quick here from John Wimber's book, PowerPoints. He says, how do we experience spirit baptism? It comes at conversion. 
So plain and simple, right there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Scripture teaches that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Christ. Conversion and Holy Spirit baptism are simultaneous experiences. The born-again experience is the consummate charismatic experience. So what does that mean? That means that calling Jesus your Lord is the mountaintop. That's actually the most profound spiritual experience that you will ever have. So regardless of how many times you prophesy accurately or how many people you see get healed or whatever, that experience of calling on Jesus to be the Lord of your life and to direct your life and to direct your steps is the most profound spiritual experience that you can have. So I just, want, I just wanted to get that out there before we keep going with this stuff because I think it's really important for us to, to fully embrace and wrap our arms around that truth that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to live naturally supernatural. Okay? Great. So, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit begins there. That, you know, as, as we start out in this new life with God, I'll pick up on my own story again. I decided to call myself a follower of Jesus and, and to go and, and to live that and to do that. And so I started reading the Bible and I wanted to do the stuff that was in there because there wasn't anything in there that said that I shouldn't or that I couldn't. And, and so on my own, not connected to any church or any movement, I started trying it out. And so I decided to pray for sick people. And I decided to try to prophesy. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to hear God's voice. And so I was doing different things to try to hear God's voice. And what I found was that as I visited different churches and prayer meetings and worship nights, there were people who were doing that. Um, but sometimes it was expressed in ways that were a little bit weird or a little bit uncomfortable for me. And it seemed like they were adding a lot of, like, human weirdness to the things that God was doing around them. And so, you know, you could tell that something was happening, but it was like, we're really, we're really adding to it. You know, we're really, like, amplifying this. I think, you know, a lot of times in the vineyard we'll talk about, like, we want Holy Spirit ministry without any hamburger helper, right? So it's just like the, the main and the plain, what, whatever God wants to give us is what we want. And we don't want to mix a whole bunch of stuff in to, you know, give it these different flavors and make it seem weird or different or whatever, right? We just want the main and the plain. And so I loved Jesus and I loved his church, but I didn't feel particularly at home in any of these expressions of church that I experienced so far because some of them were closed to the experiences that I was having and some of them were adding to the experiences that I was having in ways that were like, this is weird and uncomfortable. And, and you know, it was weird to me when I could tell that people were like faking it or trying to make something happen in these spiritual environments and, and this whole thing kind of felt like a show until Bree and I discovered the vineyard. And, I, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that the vineyard is like the greatest thing since sliced bread and we're like the one true church and that we're the only ones that do it right, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. We love the whole church. But what I am saying is that when I came into this community of folks who lived and embraced this naturally supernatural thing, 
I found home. I found home because I could experience the work that God was doing in my life without adding to it, without making it uncomfortable or weird. And it was okay if sometimes nothing happened. It was okay. We didn't have to pretend like something was happening when it wasn't. And just the same, we could be honest about it when something was happening. It was a beautiful thing. And so what I want to do now is just pause. I want to show you a video from our former national director, a guy named Phil Strout. Uh, he's, he's become a good friend, and he's out in Maine. And he uh, just talks here for about three minutes about what it means to be naturally supernatural. So uh, listen to Phil's words here for just a couple moments. He's just over there. That's all right. Uh-oh. Indian distinct. There we go. But uh, this, this one, Naturally Supernatural. You've heard it. Gary Best, great book that he wrote from us, one of our friends from Canada. Uh, but can, can I just give you a real easy way to say this? Just act normal. Really? Just act normal. Just be who you are as a human being. When you walk in a grocery store and you see somebody and you start talking with them and you realize they're sick, you don't then have to go into your act as a great tele-evangelist, take your, your handkerchief out, wipe your forehead, and then change your voice to pray for the sick person. You might, when we say naturally supernatural, what we mean is just in the natural way that we are in our humanity, we carry on in the works of God. We pray for the sick. We, 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 we pray for the demonized. We're kind to the poor. We don't have to do it with a, a different voice. If your voice has to change to do the stuff of the kingdom, something's missing. If you have to have a mask, if you have to put on a certain persona, that, that doesn't fit the vineyard in any way. So I, I like it that our, one of our distinctives is come as you are, not come as you are. I like it that one of the distinctions of the vineyard is naturally supernatural. Be who you are, where you are. When you see the Lord moving, jump in, but jump in in a natural way. Let, let, me, tell, let me tell a story of, of a, a guy that I was just with. Um, he got out of his car, and he noticed another. He was at a commissary, a place where you, the military people can buy groceries. He got out of the car. There was a lady that was getting out of her car. She had a, 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 a air cast on her leg, so obviously she had had an accident. Something had happened. And he had a nudge from the Lord to go pray for her. But he didn't do it. He was a little afraid. So once they got in the store, he's going, I'm just going to do it. He walked up to her and just simply said, I noticed that you've got a leg injury. And I'm wondering if you would mind if I prayed for you. He's, and he's in the grocery store. And he just simply said, and she goes, well, no, that would be fine very kind of you. So he says, okay. And he bends over. He's going to lean down to actually you know, put his hand on the cast and pray. She thought he was going to pray at some other time. And lo and behold, he said, after he prayed, he said, where's the threat pain between 1 and 10? She goes, oh, about a 7. And he goes, can I pray again? And now she's really like, and he just prays for her again. Where is it now? Like I said, 3, prays for her again. And she like, this is amazing. Ends up taking the cast off, ends up coming to this guy's church the following week, I think, to share this story of what just happened. So this is my question. 
Was he on grocery store healing ministry? Or was he at the grocery store to buy food and there was a lady who needed prayer and he just responded in a natural way? Wherever we are, in whatever situations, it's the kingdom. The kingdom's around. You never know when the kingdom's going to break in. So go for it. But you don't have to act a certain way. So I like it that we've used this term and it really, it does distinguish us from a lot of groups that have other methodologies in how they minister. We want to do this thing and we want to do it naturally, supernatural. Yeah, that's why we call it a vineyard distinctive. There you go. So there's, there's a wonderful explanation of the kind of thing that we're talking about. So it's in our everyday life. It's, it's not something where we have to have any kind of secret sauce. The atmosphere doesn't have to be just right. The anointing doesn't have to be just right. Just do it. You know, we just do it, and we're, and, it's, and we're not weird about it, right? We don't want to be off-putting to folks, and, and we don't want to do it in a way that, that isn't winsome and inviting. And, and here's what I'll say about that is, you know, when I first came to the vineyard, the very first vineyard thing that I came to, this guy, John Wimber, we were, we were listening to just a short clip of his teaching. And when I heard John Wimber explain the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God's activity in the earth, he did it in such a loving and winsome way that I had never heard one of these charismatic people do it in before. He did it in a way that was down to earth, that was good sense, that wasn't like frightening or weird, and it was so attractive to me. And, and I, I just want to suggest that maybe part of the reason that people in the world around us and even other Christians are so turned off to the stuff of the Spirit is because we don't do it in a natural and down-to-earth and winsome kind of way. And so when we embrace this idea of being naturally supernatural, it's invitational to folks. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't create barriers that they have to overcome to then be able to hear what you're actually saying. And so I want to talk a little more deeply about why naturally supernatural. You know, you might be hearing all this and you're understanding what the term means, but why, why do we embrace that? Why is that so important to us? Um, you know, there's something wrong with the way the world is. Have you noticed? <laughs> like, there's something wrong with the way the world is. And, you know, that's why we're here. That's why the community of followers of Jesus, the church, is here. Because God, the God who made the world promised to put it right in spite of what we've done to screw it up. That's really, if I could sum up the whole Bible in like one sentence, it's, it's that the God who made the world has promised to make it right in spite of the ways that we've screwed it up. And, and so, you know, we, we have to be God's people for God's world. This is the thing, you know, when we read the Old Testament, when we read the Hebrew Bible, this is the thing that the people of Israel had such a hard time understanding. Because over and over and over and over again, they think that they're a community for the sake of themselves. They think that they're a community for the sake of being set apart and living right in contrast to the rest of the world. But when we read in the Old Testament what God says about Israel, it's clear that his intent was always to turn Israel inside out. 
it was always for that community of folks who were living rightly before God, or at least trying to live rightly before God, to spill out and touch the rest of the world, to touch the nations, to redeem the nations. That psalm that we read before we started worshiping, I want to read it again, and I want us to just notice a couple things about it. The first thing I want us to notice about it is the way that it talks about the judgment of God. Because a lot of times when we think about judgment, we think about it like a scary thing, right? But let me ask you this. If there's a God who created the universe and is working to redeem it, isn't our hope that that's a God who has pretty good judgment? We've been thinking in the wrong categories about the judgment of God. The judgment of God is intended to put things right. It's intended to divide what's wrong about the world from what's right about the world and give us glimpses of the ways that God wants to remake the world in a redeemed and restored fashion. So let's read that. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and all the peoples with his truth. Did you hear that? The whole natural world, the trees and the waves, is celebrating the good judgment of God in this psalm. It says, he judges the peoples with equity. Movements and groups of people who are crying out for social justice in the world right now. What's, their, what's the banner that they're carrying? What are they crying out for? What is this word that they keep coming back to and begging our society to give them and it can't give it to them? Equity. And what does this psalm say right here? That God judges the peoples with equity. Equity begins and ends with the good judgment of God. And so the story of the Bible reveals God's plan to restore and redeem the world. We see in Leviticus chapter 25, we get one of the first glimpses of it, that Israel is to model renewal and restoration to the rest of the world to be turned inside out by this principle that they call jubilee. And the jubilee year, what is the jubilee year? The jubilee year, is, it, it, it expresses to the whole world that God doesn't desire great divergences between wealth and poverty. And the truth is that in this jubilee year, folks were commanded to embrace cycles of Sabbath rest and debt forgiveness and freedom for those who are bound to unjust servitude as a sign to the watching world of what God wants to do for the whole creation. And so the rest of the Old Testament is littered with God's promises to put Israel's mistakes right along with the sins of the rest of the world through who the prophet Isaiah calls the suffering servant or the son of man. 
That's Jesus Christ. And so the biblical view of God's involvement in the world, we got to get this right before we can ever do naturally supernatural. The, the biblical view of God's involvement in the world is that he is intimately involved with the restoration of the world. He is intimately involved in putting things right. And so we, the church, are the redeemed and redeeming people. That's our job, is to be the redeemed and the redeeming people. And so this great work of God to redeem the earth, according to Jesus, is supposed to be done through these houses of worship, where we worship at the feet of Christ. And that's why it feels so wrong and so off, and the world can even tell when the church is full of hypocrisy, when we don't live up to that. We've got to be people of integrity. We've got to be people who do this work and who do it honestly and rightly. And it has to be us. I believe, you know, in spite of everything that's happened in the world in, in my lifetime and, and all of the, the, the detractors and all of the horrible things that folks have done, you know, in the church and in the name of Jesus, that the church is the hope of the world. Because it is the vehicle through which God is working to redeem the world. I, I firmly believe that. And I'm not moving off of that conviction. And we've got some things to figure out. And we've got some things to, to sort. But the truth is that God is working to restore and redeem the world through his church. And so when we pursue spiritual gifts, it's because every time something supernatural, every time something that defies our expectations of the natural world around us takes place, it's because God is giving us a glimpse of the world made right. And we want another one. Because when Jesus does miracles, hear this, when Jesus does miracles, he doesn't do miracles to prove that he's God. He actually doesn't do miracles to prove that he's God. He does miracles to prove what God wants to do with the whole world. And so if you receive healing in your body, it's, it's a sign of what God wants to do with the whole universe. And if you receive, you know, an accurate and uplifting prophetic word, it's a sign of God's word to the whole universe. And, and, and if your headaches get healed, it's a sign of what God wants to do for the whole universe. And so we've got to plug it into this larger understanding of, of the project that we're actually a part of. Because it's not just these little one-off things happening, as great as they are, it's for the sake of what God wants to do with the whole world. So in other words, when we talk about being naturally supernatural, we're talking about it because it's the way that we partner with God in bringing about the redemption of the world. You know, that's, that's supernatural, right? We've talked about supernatural healing and prophetic words and all that. And I'm running out of time, but I want to just talk really briefly about natural. What about being natural? So we've talked a lot about being supernatural, but what about being natural? Um, we believe that being natural, being winsome about this, just like the story that I told about hearing John Wimber's teaching, opens folks up to experiencing what God wants to do in the world. And so I want to read one of the scriptures that I think really like best captures this from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might gain all the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to gain Jews. 
To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might gain those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not outside God's law, but am within Christ's law, so that I might gain those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a partner in it. So there's a key thing here. Paul sees this work of being winsome, being being easy to understand, naturally relating to folks who are different from him, as essential work in being a partner in the gospel. And so when we talk about being natural, here's what we mean. We live in a culture that is mostly post-Christian. We kind of teeter between being post-Christian and sort of being like almost a pagan culture that's actually interested in spiritual things and, and the supernatural. So, you know, there's a balance there. And it really depends on what city we're in or what community we're in or even what generation we're with, right? But there are ways of putting this message forward that actually beckon the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives, into our conversations, and into our situations without being weird. And so what we have to understand is, you know, when we're on the streets of Oxford, right, it's a relatively secular post-Christian environment. So what we don't want to do is introduce lots of complicated spiritual, biblical language to our conversations with folks when we want to talk to them about something that has to do with Jesus. I find, actually, that the less spiritual language that I use, the more effective my, my encounters are with people. Here's a really interesting one that I use all the time. I work one day a week at, uh, at a golf course here in town, and I just kind of work at the pro shop counter and make conversation with folks, and I've built some interesting relationships over the years. But one of the things that people love to do at the golf course is to talk about politics and to complain about politics, to complain about their least favorite politicians and the decisions that they make and how stupid they think they are and on and on and on and on. And so when I bear witness to these conversations, what it looks like for me is I, I sit and I listen and I grind my teeth. And then when I can finally get a word in edgewise, I usually say something like, man, it sounds like you're really uh, upset about that. It sounds like you're really put off by that. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a practice that I learned, a spiritual principle that I learned once, and, and I used to think like that, but it's really helped me find a lot more peace in my, in my spirit, and I'd love to tell you about it sometime um, if, you're, if you're interested. And eight out of 10 people come back and ask me about that when I say something like that. You know why? Because they know that there's something wrong. They know that there's something wrong with the way that they're talking. They know that there's something wrong with the way that they're thinking about other human beings. They know that they're thinking in the wrong categories, and they don't know what to do about it. And the hope of the world is actually for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and, and redeem their thinking and redeem their hearts from the inside out. 
And so there are little things that we can do like that. Think about your approach to people. Think about the way that you're gonna, that you're gonna talk to folks, whatever in the grocery store, like Phil's example, or, or at work, or even with your family members who are far from God. You know, like imagine these things in your head. Take time to just like visualize what is it gonna look like to have this conversation with this person. Not because that's, you know, a spiritual practice or anything, but because it helps you practically decide how are you gonna talk to folks. And, and the more natural we can get at this, I believe the more impact that these things are going to have. And so I want to I wanna just end with this, that the idea here is that by being natural, we make the way straight for the kingdom of God to enter any situation. And so we want to focus on, like, like Phil said, don't be weird. Don't be weird, but be open to whatever God wants to do. And so that's a tension, and we want to live in the middle of that tension and think together about what it looks like for that to be part of our culture. So if we could do this, um, everybody just go ahead and, and stand with me, and the worship team can come forward. Sorry, that went a little long. You know, in the vineyard, when we do ministry times like this, what we want to do is just make space for God to do what he wants to do in our hearts and and to make ourselves available. And we always say, you know, no hype, no manipulation. That's our mantra when it comes to ministry time is that we trust that God can do things if God wants to do things and we don't need to add anything to it. And so what we want to do right now, I'm just going to pray this prayer that we always pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And whatever position you need to be in to receive, you know, you can hold your hands out or you can, you can sit or you can lay down on the floor or whatever. God, we love you. And I just thank you for the truth that you are working to restore and redeem the entire creation and you want to do it through us. And so the first thing I want to do is just, if I was talking, about, when I was talking about having a life with God and making that decision to follow Jesus and really the power of God coming and transforming my inside life, if you've never made that decision, if you've never had an opportunity to do that, uh, there, we have a prayer team in the back. There are folks who would love to pray for you. Um, I would encourage you to go back and to let one of those folks know, hey, I want to I wanna live this life. I want to make that decision. And, and they're going to pray with you and talk with you about that. And the other thing that I want is just to pray for, uh, for another baptism of the Holy Spirit for us, that we would experience the power of God and that we would be empowered to pray for healing and for deliverance, for financial breakthrough, for mental health, uh, that, that God would break off our cynicism about this kind of ministry and that we would be able to actually trust again that this is something that he wants to do and that he loves to do. And so God, as we worship, we just say yes to whatever work you want to do in our hearts. We call on you for, for just the restoration and the healing of our bodies and our minds and our spirits. We thank you for your goodness for your power, for the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.